Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. What not the podcast, April 22nd, year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. I got two questions today. Uh, is there salvation outside the Lutheran Church? Can we really say the Lutheran Church is the one true visible church of God on earth? I take up those questions with somewhat an extended explanation on this one, but it's, it. I think it needs it. I think this will be helpful. I think you will f- find this, a couple of these distinctions uh, helpful, especially when talking to friends and family about the old Lutherans and what's going on there. So I hope you enjoy uh, this episode of What Not the Podcast. Here you go. Here are two related questions. Uh, first from Ron, who asks, I came across your YouTube channel. I'm really enjoying its content. Just a little background. I was raised Roman Catholic, but I fell away from normal church attendance during my young adult years. I met and married a girl from the LCMS, whose family is very involved in their church. It seemed like a natural step to become Lutheran myself. Although I did not go over extremely well with my family, eventually came around. It's now 25 years later. My question is about salvation. What does the LCMS, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, believe about salvation outside the Lutheran Church? Do we assume that those of other triune religions will be saved because of their faith in Jesus, or do they believe that Catholics will not be saved because of their teaching and false doctrine? I've asked this question of many people, both clergy and non, and have received some very interesting answers, wondering what your thoughts are on the subject. Thanks, Ron. Uh, Also, another uh, question uh, related to that uh, comes from Bernie, who says, I was listening to a podcast between you and a pastor in Australia today. You mentioned Luther's large catechism, etc., etc. Now, theology. In the Lutheran Witness, from below from the editor, there are four reasons listed as to why the Lutheran Witness exists. Number two reads, show how the evangelical Lutheran church is the true Christian church on earth. That really stirred some evangelicals up a bit. Some upset almost to the point of leaving the Bible study that he had. I've been an LCMS Lutheran all my life, God be praised, and when they questioned me on that, I felt the Holy Spirit guiding me to take them through the catechism. Uh, some felt the statement says the LCMS is the only true true church on earth. Have you ever been asked a question? God's peace be with you, Bernie. Okay, so two questions uh, and related about um, is there salvation outside the Lutheran church? How do we think of that? How do we... What do we mean when we say the Lutheran Church is the true church on earth and so forth? Really, really wonderful questions. Um, So let's start this way. We want to make a distinction between the true church and the true visible church. And those are very different categories. The church consists of all those who believe in Jesus as their Savior. All those who know that their sins have separated them from God, but that God, the Son of God, uh, has come down to, to take on our flesh and blood to also take on our sin and die in our place. And all those who trust in Christ through the Word of God are uh, Christians and are saved and are the church by definition. The church is the fellowship of the of the faithful of those with faith in Christ the communion of saints and we're saints not by our um, great efforts at, at holiness we're saints by the forgiveness of sins uh the, in fact the uh, let's see the one of the best definitions of the church 
is uh, Martin Luther gives us to us in small called articles where he says, uh, even a six-year-old child knows what the church is, believers and sheep who hear the voice of their good shepherd. And so you have to, there's three things there. You have to have, number one, the good shepherd, Jesus. And number two, you have to have him speaking. He can't just be hanging around in the corner. You have to have the voice of Jesus. And then the third is you have people who hear and believe that voice. And all who hear and believe the voice of Jesus are part of the church. Now, that consists of people in every confession and in no confession at all. Faith is invisible. We cannot see it. We can only see, well, I'll I'll tell you, the two things that we can see related to faith are the things that cause it and the things that come from it. But faith itself is invisible, and so the true church is not visible to us. It's an invisible reality. So no one can say, that's the true church, or that's the, a, a false church, because, um, be, because we just don't have the capacity to see it. Jesus could do it. He can see it. But we cannot. So we assume that there are in every church, every church that you would go and visit on Sunday morning, that there are believers there and there are unbelievers there all mingled together. So people who believe and people who don't. People who trust in Christ, people who don't trust in Christ. And we believe that that is the case in every confession where uh, God's word is preached. Even, we can go to this so far as to say, even in heretical bodies, they have the Bible there, that the Lord is creating and sustaining faith. Uh, so we hear of people who, say, are going, growing up in the Mormon church or with the Jehovah's Witnesses or even in Islam or even in totally pagan places. And the word of the, of the gospel has gotten to them and they believe it. There's Christians even outside of any sort of physical um, or uh, visible identification of the church. Now, if that's the case, what, so I'm going to, two things on this, if, two questions. If that's the case, then uh, why do we care about false doctrine? Remember that false doctrine is to the body, yeah, sorry, false doctrine is to the spirit what cancer is to the body. So you can have cancer and still be alive, but it is weakening the body and will eventually destroy the body. So that you can have false doctrine and saving faith at the same time. But just because you can doesn't mean that you should. And that false doctrine is eating away at saving faith. That's why Jesus is so careful to warn against false doctrine. Beware of false teachers. They come to you like uh, wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. It's why Paul, I mean, it's why the Bible exists. I mean, Paul and the apostles and the prophets are all addressing the dangers of false doctrine. So we, we don't say, on the one hand, that holding to a false doctrine or holding to a false teaching excludes you from salvation. Just like we wouldn't say, as soon as a person gets diagnosed with cancer, they're dead. But that doesn't mean we say, well, that false doctrine doesn't matter because, uh, because it does matter. And again, Luther... Every heresy strikes at Christ. The reason why the devil is tempting the church to false doctrine is because he wants to destroy saving faith. And so we will always want to fight against false doctrine. Okay. The second thing to say about this 
is that while we cannot see the true church invisibly, the Lord does use visible things to create faith. Jesus instituted a number of things, namely preaching, teaching the word, baptism, the Lord's Supper, the absolution, which is the forgiveness of sins, all to forgive sins so that the Holy Spirit uses not invisible things, but very visible things to create and sustain faith. And this means that while we cannot see the faith that is created, we can see the faith that is preached. We can see the teaching that is taught. We can see the sacraments that are administered that the Holy Spirit uses to create that faith which is invisible. In other words, while we cannot see the invisible church, we can see those things that the Lord uses to create Christians with our own eyes, and we can judge them. So there's a difference between talking about the invisible church, which is the true church, and the visible church. We recognize the visible church, and and this is one of these great questions in theology, how do you recognize the visible church? And different confessions have different answers. Different denominations have different answers. So, for example, the Roman Catholic Church says that the Pope is the sign of, the visible sign of the one true church. We would understand, the Lutheran confessions come along and say that the church is recognized by those things instituted by Jesus to forgive sins. That is, to create and sustain saving faith. So the gospel, rightly preached, and the sacraments, rightly administered. And and so now we have a question of what is the true visible church on earth? And the Lutheran church has said that she is the true visible church on earth because with the Lutheran church, the gospel is rightly preached and the sacraments are rightly administered. Now, probably before post-modernity came along and convinced everybody that there was no right or no truth at all, every church taught that about themselves. Every church would say that we're the true visible church on earth because we have the doctrine right. So I don't think this is a unique thing that the Lutherans would have said at the beginning. I think it's probably unique now because everybody stopped saying things that seemed so bold and we just kept saying what everybody was saying. But I think it's true. And I think that this is one of the things that Christians are, are, are called to judge. Uh, where, what are the defining marks of the church? And where can I find them? Now, I th- um, in the Reformed tradition, you normally have three things. So you have mm, the word and you have the sacraments, and you have church discipline. In some of the other traditional Protestant churches, you see the three marks of the church are the gospel preached, the sacraments administered, and the structure of the church becomes, uh, again, a visible mark of the church. I I think when you compare... The the non-denominational movement would instead of looking at the things that create faith, they're going to look at the things that are created by faith for the marks of the church. So where you see love and works of charity and so forth, 
where you see people converted, there you have the church. So they've moved from the the, um, the the things that create faith to the things created by faith, and that's that's the move of Pietism. It's not a hundred percent wrong, but it is dangerous because it's much more subjective. I think the Lutheran Confessions is the simplest. I I think amongst all the confessions, and someone could tell me I'm wrong about this, and I. I'd gladly repent because I, I don't know all, all the different churches and what they say. But when the Lutherans come along, they basically say, "Where does Jesus forgive the forgiveness? Where does Jesus give the forgiveness of sins?" And let's call that the church. And Jesus forgives sins in the absolution, in baptism, in the Lord's Supper, in the preaching and hearing of His Word. So there we have the church. So we Christians are called to look at the preaching, look at the administration of the sacraments see which one is done according to the Lord's institution and go and rejoice in the Lord's forgiveness in that place. So we do say that the, the Lutheran church is the one true visible church of God on earth because every other church in one way or another has taken away the, the joyful clarity of the biblical doctrine of the gospel or the joyful clarity of what the Lord gives in baptism and in the Lord's Supper. And, and because those things have been robbed, then they have, um, they have distanced themselves from the two, true visible church on earth. Now, where do we find this in the Bible? There's a few verses, but I want to especially hone in on Ephesians 5. So we'll dig a little bit deeper. Ephesians 5 is where we're headed, verse 25. Uh, Paul wrote Ephesians probably from prison in Rome when he was uh, there in 65 or so. Remember, he loved, oh, he, more than anywhere else, he spent three years in Ephesus building a seminary, establishing the churches around there. He's in prison now, so he's writing to them, uh, reminding them of the joy and blessings of being the body of Christ. He is in, in this section, he's in his table of duties where he's talking about the different shapes of love according to our different vocations. And he's talking about husbands and wives. Uh, wives, submit to your own husbands, he says, as to the Lord. In fact, he starts the whole section with submission. Submit to one another in the fear of God, verse 21. And that remembering that that's the baseline of our Christian vocations is of submission, being under order. So to wives, and then the husband's head of the wife, Husbands, love your wives, verse 25, as Christ loved the church. And Paul cannot help but talking about it, that it is with husbands and wives as it is with Christ and the church. And he almost keeps interrupting himself because he's trying to give instructions to husbands and wives, but he simply cannot help but talk about Jesus and his church. And here, here he's, he sort of overflows with great um, joy in how it is with Jesus and the church. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water and the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. So it talks about 
Jesus and the church. And it first talks about his act of redemption, his atonement, that he gave himself for her so that Jesus on the cross uh, died so that we would have life. He suffered so that we could be forgiven. He won the forgiveness of sins. But then he brings that forgiveness of sins to sanctify, to holificate. I wish we had a better English word to get this Greek. We have to say to make holy, but this making holy, we it's so hard for us to understand that as a gift. It just kind of moves into the realm of works in our imagination. But he... He, he, hold, he, he sanctifies us, he cleanses us, he washes us with the water and the word. Now, this is chiefly what the Lord does in baptism, which is the water and the word. But it's also with the word that he does it. And we also know that, just expanding our reach a little bit, that the Lord does the same thing when he absolves us. That's the word forgiving sins. And that when the Lord institutes the supper, he's giving the same gifts. So that Jesus who died for us is now raised to cleanse us. And that cleansing happens through means. Uh, I think this is one of the most important uh, texts, especially when thinking about baptism. Because we're so tempted to think that baptism is our work and our doing rather than the Lord's work and the Lord's doing, his cleansing us. But here it says that Jesus is the one who cleanses us. And he cleanses us also with the word when it's preached and heard and believed. And so the church is the place where where the word uh, comes to cleanse us, where the word and the water comes to cleanse us where the body and the blood and the word comes to forgive us. And we can see it, and we can recognize it, and we can say, this church has the water and the word and the blood. That, that reminds me of Revelation 12. They overcame by the word of their testimony and the blood of the Lamb. They didn't love their life unto death. It's like an outline of, of the service every Sunday, the word and the blood the word and the water. And I can see it. This church has the word and the water and the blood. And that church, they have the word, but it's confused. They have the water, but it doesn't cleanse. They have the blood. Well, they have the wine, but not the blood. So I can see those things. And so I can identify uh, the true visible church. I can never see the true invisible church. I can never see faith. But I can see those things which the Lord uses to create and sustain faith. God be praised. Christ loved the church. That's us. Died for us. And he's cleansing us still. In baptism, the water, the word. God be praised. Thanks for being part of the fun. Your questions can be sent at wolfmuller.co slash contact. That's the best way. If you go to wolfmuller.co and you hit the audio button at the top, and then you'll see what not the podcast amongst all the other plethora of podcasts that are there. Uh, what not the podcast. Click on that. And then there's a button, leave a message, where you can go and leave an audio message, which is pretty cool. Uh, so you can do that as well. Uh, I'd love to hear 
uh, feedback on the what do we call this now the this new format question and then deep dive Bible thing uh, I think it's fun I'm gonna just two this week but I'm gonna try to see if we can record a few more uh, maybe four or five a week that's the hope uh, going going forward we'll see how that works out uh, so um, so keep an eye out for that and your feedback is always welcome uh, Wednesday whatnot is the free newsletter you can sign up for that at the website. I think it's on the side of every page, just about. There's also always a lot of theology over there. And uh, and some YouTube. There's always the theology on YouTube as well. I had a good time uh, tracing out the um, apparent contradictions in the resurrection accounts uh, this week on YouTube. So if that kind of thing is interesting to you, then you can see that uh, over there as well. Uh, I think that's all today. God's peace be with you. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah.